This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to a brand new week of shows here on Double Tap. It is Monday, it is the 20th of November 2023, and we start with a firing. Uh-oh. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. But we need to get that changed. Do we have to get that uh, changed? <laughs> I don't know. We will find out. <laughs> I just want to say before we start, Steve, what a pleasure it is working with you. Thank you. <laughs> what, what a great man and indeed adequate colleague you are. Adequate indeed. Now, just before you start <laughs> slagging me off too much... Uh, you're not the one. You. You're not the one being fired. Oh, okay. oh! In that case, happy Monday. Love you all. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> and I'm not being fired. Hooray! Neither of us are being fired. We're all still here. Phew. Um, I mean, hang sorry, on. listeners. Hang on. Well, I just, I'm, I'm just hoping today that the F does not stand for firing. Um, no, I think we're okay. We're Don't okay. jinx it. Okay, we're all good. No, the tech world is oh. in shock because of some breaking news. Breaking yes, news. Breaking, breaking news. Oh, I said that in time there. Well done. Um, Friday, actually, this broke, and it's a, a, a shocking story, Sean Priest. It is. I, honestly, I was so surprised when I read this. Yeah, this is really weird. So on Friday, Sam Altman, who is uh, the guy we all know as the CEO and really, for many, I guess, the face of what modern artificial intelligence is and has become, uh, CEO of OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, was uh, fired from the company on Friday. The company he co-founded. And like I say, a company that, for a lot of people, uh, introduced them to the concept of AI for the first time. Now, look, we all know AI has been around forever. And, you know, you'll start writing and saying, I get get it, right? But the point is, for Um, most people, for most people... Are are lovely. (laughs) They don't don't talk like that. Thank you. Some do. Uh, But, you know, for most people... They, you know, most of us had never really understood how AI played a part in our lives. You know, for example, we didn't realize how the algorithms worked in our social media feeds. We know they did, but we didn't really know how that worked. Or, you know, when you get that thing where it says what movie might be recommended on a, you know, on say Netflix or something, you don't realize the impact that AI already has. But with OpenAI, it kind of showed it up. It kind of brought it out that we could talk to this thing. It can now talk back as well, which is amazing. Yes. So that was what really ChatGPT brought. So Sam Altman was at the heart of all of this. And he was the guy who, you know, for many people, like I say, was the face. He was the face of the company, but certainly the face of AI. Uh, and then face of AI. Yes. Yeah. And then so much so that he spoke at the Senate. He spoke, he, well, he spoke at the Senate. He was in the UK a couple of weeks ago talking yep. to uh, the UK government about, uh, you know, AI and... It uh, seemed as if, and you know, and, and this is another thing, because of course with this announcement of his firing, there would usually be a suggestion that something been building over time that perhaps he would, might have been aware of. But the fact that he was speaking up until just a few days ago on various things on public stages suggests he was unaware of this firing. So the question is what actually happened, right? Mm. So we should really start with a statement from the board of directors. 
And they have said that, uh, and this is the board of directors of OpenAI, they believe he had not been, in quotes, consistently candid in communications, end quote, with them. And as a result, had lost confidence in his leadership. Now, what does that actually mean? Well, either he's said something or not said something to them. He's maybe held some information back and he's been caught out. It's not clear as to what actually what this means. And of course, as you can imagine, there's a a billion rumours about what's going on. But, you know, it's unusual because we we often do hear about challenging workplace experiences. You know, in the tech sector, it's not unusual to hear about toxic workplaces. It's not unusual in any workplace these days. It would appear to hear about toxic workplaces. But no Mm. such rumours flew around about OpenAI. So is this something specific that he's done? that has caused him to go. And it wasn't just him. His co-founder, Greg Brockman, uh, was also dismissed just a few minutes after Sam Altman was fired. And they were both shocked. And a number of people on Twitter last night and people who were also let go um, were receiving messages from Sam Altman last night, or not last night, on Friday night, saying, (laughs) WTF! What the fudge? I don't know what that means. Yeah. Oh, what, well done. Thank where's you. the fudge? Is the the question? Yeah. Just want, maybe looking in the cupboard before he wanted to maybe need a sweet treat. Now, did was Greg also dismissed, or did he resign in protest? Well, there was rumor I've, that he'd resigned. I, yeah, I've seen different reports. Yeah, but he apparently was dismissed by all accounts, according to official. Well, according to news reports I've been reading, it says he's been dismissed. But I agree. I've also seen reports saying he walked himself. And I think a number of others did walk out at the same time. And it's also been interesting to see the reaction of the tech industry. So there are a number of people, and there's a number of sides to this story when, when it gets into this kind of detail. And you might be wondering, well, what's this got to do with anything? What, you know, a guy gets fired, so what? But it's interesting because this has happened so suddenly. And the question is why and what does that mean? Because it suggests there's been either a disconnect in the planning of where this company's going in the future or where it has been going and things are maybe not going to plan. And there's lots of rumours and stories circulating now about, you know, what Sam Altman thought about AI because, of course, there is this almost movie-like storyline of it will either save us all or kill us all. And, you know, maybe he was too blasé about one or not blasé enough about, I, I don't know, right? I don't not know cautious what the, enough or, yeah, yeah overly <laughs> enthusiastic. Who knows? Well, look, look, this is just one of those stories which is full of intrigue. Some would say gossip. I love I'm it. Quite, I'm quite happy with either of those because the point is, is just how quickly, how sudden this has come about. There is no way, if there was something bubbling in the background, there is no way Sam, Sam would be allowed to to front the recent OpenAI event that we had. Um, they would be very cautious about that, the board of directors. So this is something that's just happened so quickly over the past few days. And that is the very reason, okay, what happened? And that statement, you know, uh, 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 no confidence in Sam because of his whatever of communications. Yeah, I mean, it's vague enough that it really gets people interested. Yeah, and it's been interesting hearing what other people think as well. So Google's co-founder, Eric Schmidt, uh, said he was a hero um, and so has and has rallied behind Sam Altman, which is interesting. Really? Um, 
Also, Microsoft boss Satya Nadella, who was on stage with him just a few weeks ago at the OpenAI Dev Day conference, um, said he had confidence in the firm as well. Now, of course, that's important because Microsoft has put a lot of money into this company. And I, I, by all accounts... in a hard place. Well, nice. yeah, and, and, and by all accounts, Microsoft's board and, and, and team and leadership and, and Satya Nadella and others were not aware of this until a minute before the decision or, or maybe in a minute after the decision. But ultimately, at the well, same I, time we all find out, they found out. And I find that quite surprising. Well, surely Microsoft's uh, uh, representative must be on the board of directors. Surely. Are they not? I would have thought so. I mean, they've invested billions into this. Do they have a seat would on they? the board? They would surely have. I would have thought. Yeah, I don't know. But wow. It's it's just so surprising. So who knows what's going on here? But the guy who's been silent on this is perhaps the most surprising of all. Uh, Elon Musk has said nothing at this uh, uh, up until this point, and when we were recording this uh, just before Monday. So you know, maybe by Monday he'll have, have spoken out. Maybe by the time we're broadcasting this, he will have spoken up. But mm. so far, nothing. And there's talk that perhaps that's because he is setting up his own chatbot, because every company is now moving towards AI and finding their own way to do it. Important to say as well that OpenAI was formed by uh, Elon Musk and Sam Altman. So that's interesting. Um, Could it be that, you know, Sam ends up going back with Elon? Who knows? That could be a thing down the line. Who knows? But, you know, certainly uh, Elon's (laughs) uh, company X is releasing a new chatbot called Grok. Terrible name. Um, but it's um, almost as bad as X. But uh, yeah, so maybe maybe he's quite glad that there's a bit of uh, chaos at opening eye. Yeah, that's the thing, though. Everything has been going just so perfectly for OpenAI, at least front-facing. Who knows what's going on in the background? Nobody. But it just seems one of those fairy tale tech companies, right? It just suddenly comes out and with this paradigm shifting technology that everyone just wants to use and wants to to work and wants to happen and all of a sudden this and it just seems it's just like the mr perfect of tech has suddenly been you know uh, what's they called um a coup it's almost ousted Mm -hmm. and it's it's look i don't believe anyone is is perfect (laughs) but it's it's just so it's so Intriguing. It's got the kind of hallmark of a Steve Jobs moment again. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yes, it's exactly. Yes, slightly coming, different, but it's it's similar in some back ways. Back in a few years, or are we going to see? You know, I don't know a, a competitor to OpenAI. Well, again, it's, it's, it's if you allow the. This is when you you know get into the question of who runs the company. Is it accountants, or is it people who are you know tech capable? The people who've got the brains to. To run, I mean, I, I well, exactly, yeah, exactly. I working in radio as I have for many years. I, I remember the days when the accountants pretty much took over. I say accountants; I mean they were, were not accountants; they were business people, but they were they were business headed, and they would come in and they would tell you what you know how how a radio station should work. And you're thinking you have no idea what you're talking about. You've never sat behind a microphone. You don't have a clue what you're talking about when it comes to broadcast or how to gauge an audience or engage an audience or anything else. You'd have no That's, idea. You're just looking at numbers. Like my last review from you. Well done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Deja vu. So maybe there's, maybe there's a lot of that going on. I, I guess the problem is that at some point, the idea 
the dream becomes a business. And when it becomes a business, things change. And that yes. could be something that's going on here. Because like you say, this is fairly new and it was a little bit of a dream company in some ways. So it's come along with an idea and almost an idealistic approach, you know, based on on facts and based on on capability, but but it was never really realized. Now it has been realized. The question is, you know, does it have to get serious? And maybe that's something that, you know, they were the board were finding out there were problems. I mean, there, there were problems at OpenAI, in particular with GPT. There was, I think there was a, a tweet just the other day from Sam Altman talking about that they had to pause uh, new signups because they were having issues with new G, uh, ChatGPT4 Turbo, where basically yes. so many people were using it, it was just falling over. And so they had to pause that. Now, I mean, is that a reason to get... Yeah, but that's a victim of success, right? Uh, You could argue, but maybe there are some issues there. Maybe it is to do with the unveiling of um, ChatGPT4 Turbo. Maybe the service isn't quite ready for prime time. Do you think Elon Musk was right? Do you think you should do it? I mean, his argument was always to pause AI development. I mean, ironically, coming from the guy who developed the company that's now at the centre of it. But, you know, he said we should pause AI development to, to give us a sense to, to give us a chance to almost catch up and let governments and others catch up and build the regulation to be in place. You know, it does feel to me as if things are moving at such a pace. I mean, every single day, there's another thing, right? There's another story. There's another whatever it is. And another example of someone building something, you think, wow, that is incredible. And how this, this technology is, is taking over or do, not even much taking over, just advancing. And I, I just, you know, the question is, is it just a tool? I think, I think, we, I think Sam Altman was, was quoted as saying it's, it's more of a tool than a creature. Um, mm. But at which point does the tool come to life? <laughs> That's the question. Again, sounds like my last review. Um <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, I I, I think I, I'm just more worried about how this, uh, from a totally, uh, I totally claim this selfish point of view. Yes. How does this and does this at all have any impact in the tools that I use specifically? In my case, be my AI. Um, mm. are, are we going to see any downtime because of this? I would hope not, and I, I don't believe so. But you just don't know at this point. It's. Uh, uh, there must be a more direct statement. I mean, this is the story to watch. There's something interesting that's going to come out of this, definitely. Yeah, it may all get very boring. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. That's the story we led with. I, I thought it was great. It's like a, it's like your favourite Netflix drama or something. And it's just, uh, this is, I didn't see this coming. No, no, I don't think any of us did. and uh, Well, none of us did, for sure. I mean, this was a complete ball Sam out of the blue. Apparently. Um, mm. you know, a Friday night news drop. That's always interesting when, when journalists get a news story on a Friday night. Cause you know, Oh, that's a proper journal, Stephen Scott. What, what, what's the relevance of that? Uh, well, it usually says that, you know, most journalists are by that point of a Friday, let's just say are enjoying a cocktail or two and, uh, oh. will not be in any way interested in writing news stories. So, Tech journalists had to scramble a little bit, uh, dust off a hangover, and start writing some tweets um, on this Nothing subject. Like a bit of stereotyping. I'm sorry, well but I'm sorry, but I've worked in this field a long time. I've, I, this is not a stereotype, I'm afraid. Um, although it's very much a stereotype, but there's a reason why it's a stereotype. Um, 
But, you know, the, the point here is, you know, this was a bit of a late drop. Also, it's the Friday before Thanksgiving in the US. So things are winding down a little bit. Um, mm. This is normally not the period. We're kind of into this weird period of time now where, you know, last year, and, and I would say from, I mean, when we started doing the show daily, I remember thinking, you know, there, there will be periods in the year where things will be quieter. And, you know, how are we going to cope with that? You know, how will we deal with that? It was, it was part of the conversations we had. Um, with the at the time awake, and, and yes. we said, and we said to him, you know, we were playing him with drink, and we said his name every few minutes so he would, you know, keep interest. But um, <laughs> plays a little jingle. Um, Stop it! And it would, you know, just, just to keep so him, sorry. keep him engaged in the conversation, you know. <laughs> and uh, you know, we said, look, we've got to think about what happens in these down days. Well, we're one year in. And it it's and it's like November eighteenth. Well, we're number twenty. November twentieth. Actually, we're recording this on eighteenth, but it's it's November twentieth today as we broadcast yes. this. And we are still getting breaking news every day, near enough on on tech. And it feels as if things have really amped up in the last year. And AI has been at the heart of that, no doubt at all. And not necessarily in the Elon Musk style of just oh look another new shiny thing. You know, this is actually coming out of interesting and genuine developments that are going on and it's, it's creating quite a lot of interesting conversations. So, you know, I, I just, I think we, you know, can certainly tell from a news perspective how quickly things have changed with AI. Yes. Well, it's because we're all seeing the potential of it and we're also amazed and blown away of the demos and examples that we've seen out there. And we're just, you know, we're just, uh, it, it's natural to think ahead of where this is going to lead. And mm. that's leading to a lot of excitement and a lot of worries at the same time. That's why you're seeing so much government involvement. But um, yeah. So this is, and it kind of proves my point, right? That every single day there's something else. Um, the capability of chat GPT-4 uh, vision, which is this new feature where it can look at an image and it can analyze it. And the things that we've been used to, we've been talking about with Be My AI for a long time. Um, if you were able to get live video, and I think that's not that far away, um, that you know, you'll be able to essentially play a live video and it will be able to gauge what's going on in that video and respond to it. You know, immediately what I'm thinking is, oh, audio description, right? We could get live audio described video content. And it mm. sounds like a nice idea. And I think then then I kind of play in my head, how would that work in reality? How would the AI understand the context in order to provide good audio description, right? So I was thinking about this. And whilst it's in my mind, a guy called Charlie Holtz on X puts up this tweet where he's built a script combining GPT-4 vision and 11 labs, you know, the uh, ability to, to take a voice and, and turn it into... Yeah, the TTS clone, uh, basically. Voice. Yes. Yeah, exactly. He has developed something, a tool, which has uses the camera in his laptop... It allows him to take a picture of himself every five seconds. He could make that shorter if he wanted, but he's decided to make it every five seconds. And he has the voice developed through Eleven Labs of David Attenborough narrating <laughs> his life. Wow. So everything okay. he does gets narrated. Now, I can't play you the clip in here due to a technical reason, which will not go into because it's very boring. Um, but I, I 
would urge you to check out the link. I'll post the link on our show notes and we'll do it on social media as well because it will let you hear how it works. Now, the only the other reason I wasn't keen on playing it is because we don't really know what he's doing in these pictures. I can't tell what he's doing on the on the camera. But it, based on what David Attenborough is saying, you're getting a sense of, for example, him having a drink. And it says, you know, David Attenborough's voice, it's like, you know, the Homo sapien, uh, you know, refreshes himself with, you know, the nectar of life or, you know, whatever it is that Attenborough yes. says, right? And I was kind of blown away at the fact that it was kind of like, a, it was just a bit of fun. The guys just developed this for a bit of fun. But what it shows you is how it was able to almost describe what was going on in those images. Now, he was doing it, as I say, from the perspective of fun and having David Attenborough narrate your life. How well, cool is that? Proof of concept, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's how these features get built. Um, it's interesting that you jump to AD. Yeah. Because um, the only reason I'm thinking of um, AI-powered real-time video translation is purely for mobility. You know, oh, there's an object yes. 15 feet in front of you, 10 feet, 5 feet, almost like the LIDAR we're using now, but, you know, with image recognition as well and the power of AI. It's basically audio describing my life. So that's where I jump to. And, yeah, I think it's it's def- definitely within sort of grasp now. I, I'm not sure how it would be implemented, as you said. When it comes to something like AD for media shows, then... I'm thinking like you can do with audio files. You know, you throw it the video and it does it post. It gives mm. AD post. As for real time, yeah, I'm not entirely sure how that would work, but I've, I see no reason why even right now it couldn't do something like that as a um, as an afterthought almost. You know, you could run it in and run the AD on after. It could be very interesting. Well, I mean, obviously, it, this is very new, but, you know, I mean, you could... <laughs> Because in my head, I'm thinking, okay, so if a video is playing and a, let's just say it's an action movie or something, how is it going to figure all this out and then relay that to you? And of course, it's not going to do it the way that AD does at the moment, where it kind of fits itself into the dialogue, no. unless it can figure out how to do that as well. I and mean, maybe it can. I mean, I'm sure it can do all that. That's something that has to be developed in time. The question is, though, is that what we want? Because this is another thing, right? So we get all this potential. And you know very quickly that companies will start looking into the ways to use this because, look, at the end of the day, this is yet another area where they can avoid using human beings and they can start using robots, right? And robots are significantly cheaper than humans, right? So this is where things get, okay, exciting on one hand, but equally I get a little bit nervous because I look at the work, for example, of the International Digital Centre they were uh, recognised at the uh, AD Awards recently held by the ACB, ACB American yeah. Council for the Blind, of the Blind. And um, that was a really interesting time because I was hearing uh, Eric Wickstrom talk about the, the work that they had done. I think it was on the show Wednesday on Netflix in particular they were being uh, awarded plaudits for. And, I mean, everything they do, to be perfectly honest, anything that comes out of IDC is just a fantastic production because they focus on, first off, they employ blind people to do the reading of the scripts. I mean, brilliant. Why not? Blind people doing it for ourselves, right? Why not? Yep. And although I have to say, can I I just put it out there? It's also kind of weird, right? People I know are doing these these scripts. It's kind of weird. It's like my friend is reading to me. I kind of like it. And I kind of also think... 
This is weird, but I, I, I like it, right? But it's just something's a bit odd. As long um, as they've got a nice voice, it's all fine. And then you've got the scripting. Liz Gutman is one of the, the key, the chief writers there. And Liz is an incredible scriptwriter for this. These are the tools that make it good. And of course, the third, well, third, fourth, whatever we're on in the list. Um, for me, it's, it's the mixing of the audio. Yes. That is so vital when it comes to audio description because sometimes it is a complete horror show there's so many films on tv where the the ad's been mixed poorly and you're listening to it and you gotta have it so loud to either hear the soundtrack or the ad but they're never balanced so one will just blare out all of a sudden and ah it's you're forever riding the volume but i was going to say you know it's like blind people talk about disabled people talk about the disability tax right the the extra money it costs us to do what we do i have to put batteries in my tv remote control more often than anyone else <laughs> because i'm forever having to play with the volume button I'm like forever just like like sitting there. I almost feel like I should have a little mixing console next to the TV, like riding the fader <laughs> of the audio because it's just so Ooh. loud all the time. And, and I had one movie where the AD was so loud and the film was so quiet. And it, and it was, and it wasn't, that wasn't even like the ducking level. It was just like the, the volume level of the movie was low. Yep. And, this, and, and so it didn't matter what happened. You couldn't really listen to one or the other because you had to turn the volume up so loud to hear the film and then turn it back down again because suddenly this voice was, was actually freaking me out every time it spoke. And yeah. It, you know, it really irritates me because there's so many films I'd love to sit and watch and I just can't. I just That puts me off. And it was interesting because, um, and I, I, I really would love to, to somebody to have this conversation for real. I mean, we talk about it a lot, but I, I kind of want the AD people to, to pay attention to this. Or maybe not the AD people, but maybe the broadcasters organizations i don't know whoever's in charge of this the amount of times i've found a show in uk that's described and i think okay that's fine it's been described and you're great you know love it brilliant but then i find the same show let's just say i um find the show stop it and it's got an a u.s narrator for the audio description it's not the same script it's differently recorded different voice, um, different slash better mixing of audio. And so I'll choose to listen to that version. Um, Why can't I get the choice? Or why can't, hang on, if it's already been done, can't we why just it being have done that? Again? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why does it have to be done here or somewhere else? I mean, I, I understand language. That's different, right? So if you're saying, well, you know, it's been translated into Polish or Italian or Spanish. Okay, yeah, fine. Totally understand. But English to English? Just because the accent matches the country you're in? But the voiceover artists themselves are as frustrated with the situation. And it comes down to sort of the, the production companies or the the, the movies. Um, they, they, they want to keep... You know they've done the work, so that's their property, and they're not going to pass it on to anyone else. So yeah, it's just a, a terrible situation. But I do, I do you know what, Sean? I don't think it's that. I, I do. I, I don't think these companies even really understand what it is they've got. I don't think they have a clue. Uh, it could be true as well. Yeah, don't even it's know such it a small in some part. Cases. I mean, look, if you were to go to, I don't know, if you went to Tom Hanks, and this is what I think. This is the way I think we solve this problem. Honestly, I think we have to get the actors the people in the movies, the directors, the Spielbergs of this world, um, to actually 
you know, get involved in this conversation, actually know about what's going on. Because the way I look at it is it's part, it's kind of representing their work as well. So if, if an AD is bad or a script is bad or a presentation is bad, it's kind of ruining the film. And that's their work. Now, if I thought someone was taking my work and making it worse, I wouldn't be too happy about that. And maybe that's, maybe that's a way to challenge this, you know, to get these kind of people to say, you know, this isn't good enough or... I don't know. I just, I just think there needs to be more of a conversation higher up the chain because you go into the companies, they don't really, I don't think they have a clue. And it's such a shame because what irritates me about all of this is there's so much work being done. But if it's not good enough and it's not up to a standard and it's not working for people and it's not available to people, which is the bigger issue, maybe the biggest, mm-hmm. yeah. then what, what, what are we doing here? You know, why, what, we can't, it feels like, it still feels very much like AD is treated as a, um, that's the nice thing for the blind people. There's your little pat on the head. And our friend Robin, he talks about this. He doesn't like movies with, um, with AD. He, he doesn't enjoy them. And he says he just feels it's always, he's just being thrown crumbs. And I get that. I actually get that. I mean, I don't go as far as he does. I don't think it's, it's as big a deal in that regard. I mean, I still would rather have it than not. But, you know, give me the crumbs. But at the same time, I don't want it to be treated that way. And it feels like it is. It always feels like it's, just, it's even less than second class. We talk about this a lot, the second class citizen issue. We talked about it with Mike on, on Friday. It, it keeps coming up in every way, in every part of our lives. The irritation for me is that the work is being done. It's just not being reflected anywhere. It's not being celebrated anywhere. And yes, it's great we do it in our own bubbles and we have these events where we celebrate it. But, you know, I kind of want to see more of it on a bigger stage. You know, I think, I don't know if this is the case, but I mean, did the Oscars have like an AD category? I mean, that would be interesting. Well, why don't you know? You should pay more attention and be interested. Uh, Yeah, I don't know either. Um, (laughs) I don't have a clue. That would be interesting, right? That could work. That would be good. And again, it would just put focus on it. Yeah. You know, if, 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 if out of that, you know, if Will Smith didn't slap someone that year and, and actually instead, you know, learned that AD was a real thing and made a big difference to blind people, that'd be cool to talk about. Uh, yes, in, the, in a perfect world. Um, AD and AI. Wow, we're really going through it, aren't we? Mm, well, we'll see. We shall see. Anyway, back to the main story of the day, of course. Open AI. So what happens next? Well, everything falls currently to the Chief Technology Officer, Mira Murati, who will take over as the interim CEO. Um, interesting. Uh, she also worked previously for Musk at Tesla. So it's a small world, right? <laughs> I see. Uh, I smell a conspiracy theory brewing. <laughs> well, if anyone's, if anyone's going to start it, we know who it'll be. Uh, right, stick around. This is Double Tap. We'll get uh, to more of your comments. Also, we're going to be uh, finding out about Texture Pro, which wrapped up last week. We'll be joined by uh, Mark Walker from Texture next. Call the Double Tappers now. one 803 4567 Or email us. Feedback at com. Welcome back. And uh, today on the show, I am pleased to welcome Mark Walker from AbilityNet. He's the head of marketing, and uh, he is here to tell us all about the big TechShare Pro event that took place last week. Very interesting. Of course, AI at the heart of it, as you would expect. Uh, Mark, good to have you uh, back here with us on Double Tap. Uh, thanks, David. I, I was good to catch up with you. And, and um, just, to be, just to put in context for you and the listeners, this is uh, the day after 
three days of TechShare Pro. I got back to my house today after being up in Canary Wharf. We were hosted by HSBC. We had we we're back in person. It's it's funny saying that because we've been hybrid, really. But this was properly back in person for the first time. The last time we really got together was 2019. In in a, we had a fantastic time in Google HQ in in London. We were in Canary Wharf this year and HSBC. And for anybody who's getting back out into the worlds of conferences and, and, and actually stepping back into that in-person experience, there's a certain joy in it at the moment. I think that people are seeing one another across the corridor and sprinting across for a big cuddle <laughs> with that sort of event. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, uh, uh, as well. Everybody wants to chat. Everybody just wants to chat. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us about TechShare Pro. For those who have never heard of it, Mark, uh, tell people what... Uh, AbilityNet and, and TechShare Pro itself. Sure. Is. Well, um, so AbilityNet is a UK charity. Um, we've been around a long time, 20, 20 odd years, more than 25 years now. We work across disabilities, all, all disabilities of all types, um, helping people find and use the technologies that are going to help them sort of flourish and be productive and, and, and achieve their goals at work, at home, in education is how we say it. I mean, and our vision that we describe is a, is a digital world accessible to all. So, so recognizing the power of technology to do good for people with disabilities and the need to, to, you know, build accessible services and solutions, um, across the piece. So whether that's websites and apps or TVs or any kind of digital interface that, that, that we experience in our lives. Um, so I'm painting deliberately an incredibly broad picture of what we're trying to do at any given time. And, and TechShare Pro is our annual conference. Um, uh, TechShare was an RNIB event that was going on for many years that was more of a consumer-based event, um, bringing the technologies out for people to come and see and try and, and, and use, try out and review and use. We're the pro bit of that, which means we're more about the people who are making that stuff, the people who are building technologies. Um, a lot of people who come to our conference have the word accessibility in their job title or a role that links to that or they're a champion for accessibility in their organization they may be a designer they may be a coder they may be a policy person they may be an hr person somehow they're part of the process of making their organization more accessible um, we think about the employee experience of, of working and being productive as a disabled person and, and and the ways in which technology can enable you to do that we think about the consumer experience. You know, is it possible to buy and use digital services and products uh, equitably and, and accessibly? Um, and we we had some we had a great sessions about gaming, about accessible gaming, which is a load of great stuff is happening in that area. We had stuff about um, uh, media representation of disabled people and the ways in which technology uh, is influencing us across all media. Uh, we talked about AI inevitably and, and, and the ableism, which is um, inherent in, in AI. You know, AI is garbage in, garbage out. And, and you know, so so much of the data in AI is biased about gender and race and other things. And it's equally biased in terms of disability. And we, we talked about that. So a, a great smorgasbord of content, really. And um, it was in, as I said, it was in London, uh, about 150 people in the room. Uh, I've just looked, there's 1,500 registrations online, um, a load of sessions that, that people could talk and chew over with great people. We brought in people like Stephanie Cadu, who I know 
you've spoken to relatively recently from Canada. She flew in and became part of a panel about policy. Um, she's the chief accessibility officer, which they're the only government with that role. Uh, we had Sarah Herlinger from Apple. I noticed she popped up in your in your relatively recently talking about what they're doing. Really interesting bunch of people gathered together, chatting, chewing the fat for two or three solid days. Uh, but but really, people who are at the heart of the decisions, people who are the, at the heart of the technology, which is driving a lot of uh, today's tech and future tech as well. And that's the important bit about TechShare Pro, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, and I think uh, we, because we've been going a little while I, I, and, and then bringing people back together, I was, I was sitting there thinking, we've got the head of accessibility from Sony, from Apple, from... Google from Microsoft, you know, these are the sort of big tech companies. We've had Samsung involved and Lenovo. So you've got the tech companies and it, and it's, that's one thing I, that still blows me away a bit when I'm sitting there with these people on the panel and we're talking through this stuff going, this is a, uh, you are the people who are making almost every gadget around us accessible. It's incredible. But you've also got a lot more now around disability inclusion within the workplace. A lot of DNI, diversity and inclusion professionals, um, we had the had the global head of diversity from HSBC. HSBC has, I think it was about 80,000 employees or something like that. It's a huge company. She's the global head sitting on our panel chatting about the ways in which they try and bring disability inclusion into the workplace and make, make the workplace more inclusive and the role of technology in it. So you've you've got senior movers and shakers talking about the stuff that we talk about all the time you know the tech bit that you you connect into too but people using our language from from very senior positions is really inspiring to know that they are tuned into that wavelength now that they they are seeing this stuff come to the surface and they recognize its role um I, I, you know because the power of that is of course that that makes the workplace more accessible and and, and disability and employ and, and employment is such an important topic that you know we there's so many disabled people are not fully employed, not fully productive, and so you're looking at these big employers saying this is really cool. You're really seriously trying to tackle this issue now. So yeah, I, that's the stuff I love is that you got you got the apples and the and the Microsofts and the others, and then you got these amazing people with incredibly important roles in other organisations, and you're bringing these two worlds together. And, and then I must say the final part is that we always, 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 always put lived experience at the centre of those conversations. So I'm always sitting there on the stage. I do a lot of the hosting sessions, listening to the stories of disabled people talking about their experiences. So this is not through the lens of the purple washing sort of angle. We're always doing our best to to probe that little bit further and say, what are you actually doing? How much of this is really changing the life of the, of the people who are in your organisation? So, yeah, and I... Yeah, because there's there's people like me who turn on my iPhone, you know, every day, and or you know, pull out my Apple MacBook, and still have challenges with voiceover, and still have issues, and think this is great. We're having all these wonderful conversations, and everyone's so excited. But you know, voiceover still tells me Safari not responding. So what's what's going on, right? So there's that that lived experience is key in amongst of that. Of course, and that's the one that I think. You no, know, I think the other mantra that you hear an awful lot about because we talk a lot about inclusive design as a as a, a goal, if you like. Um, uh, people who are building things should be thinking about disability amongst a, a number of other sort of key issues around inclusion. Uh, and then if you're not listening to the user, we always say that, and if you're building anything, make sure you draw people into the conversation who are going to use your product. Make sure you're listening to what disabled people are saying about your product. And that's why they're on our stage is because they're actually, they represent that interest when we're talking about those conversations, when we're 
we were talking about ableism and AI. Um, and, you know, a couple of people on the stage are, are talking about their own experience from their own point of view in terms of their disability. So it's it's powerful, it's high level, and it's grounded in that disabled experience. That's the, that's the goal for me in terms of bringing it together. And, I, I, you know, again, looking back on the last few days, so much of what we've done has come you know, the, the people speaking are are the disabled community in their own sector, in their own place, in their own professional relevant role. That's the really cool bit, I think. You mentioned, uh, and of course, it's been the topic of discussion everywhere over the last year, and that is AI. Um, and there's a very different conversation, it would appear, just based on what you're saying, uh, within the disability community than perhaps there is out in the mainstream tech world where everyone's very excited and, of course, everything's moving on at a pace. But you know, it sounds almost like a, a word of caution coming out of TechShare Pro this year, which is let's think about the the impact of AI on disabled people, not just the tools that will help us all thrive, but actually the information that's being put out by AI. I, I, I think it's... I think- well, there's a couple of bits. Yes, I think there is a disability angle to this that's unique, you know, around this conversation. I think there's broadly an inclusion angle, with, you know, which which is this is an example of. I think that people are concerned about how how AI may represent race or gender or or other issues around inclusion and and, and you know the connections between the data that it, that it has that it's using and where that comes from and and then also the privacy aspects in terms of how your own data is being used in systems that are invisible to you and, you know, are in a black box and, and, and the lack of a transparency. That's a broad challenge, I think, in terms of what we hear about the recent government, you know, AI summit was that's why those things are there on the policy table at the moment is because there is a general concern about that. Then you boil it down to the disability stuff. And I think that there are particular concerns about the ways in which disabled people could benefit from this being outweighed by the risk of them also not having access to uh, equitable sort of access to the services um, because they're not designed for them. Wouldn't it be great if everything built in AI was accessible from now on? Wouldn't that wouldn't mm. that be wonderful that you look back in 10 years' time and say, thank goodness we did that right in the beginning because we're never going to reverse engineer it in 10 years' time? Um, it came up a couple of times. But imagine if they'd done that in the internet thirty years ago. Imagine if every web page was automatically accessible from nineteen ninety two onwards. We, you know, yeah. we would be living in a very different world in terms of people's access to the internet and on all the digital stuff we used to. That's if we can build it in now. If we can make these concerns, and you know, make tangible changes to what we're building because of these concerns, we won't have to do it again. And and by the way, you probably won't be able to do it later anyway because it'll be too late. You know, the genie will be out of the bottle, and there'll be too many things that you want to do that you can't do because it hasn't been made accessibly. So, yeah, I, I, the, the flip side of it, and the amazing positive stuff about you know giving people a voice and and the way that you can train. Um, I mean, this was an Apple example, and, and being able to to, to train um, your phone to to adopt your voice and 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 then be able to build construct sentences using your voice. Um, and whether you know that could be for someone with an with NND or some other uh, issue in terms of locked in syndrome, you know, a number of different sort of pieces of technology on their own that are AI derived that will be transformational and almost magical in the sense of how they're going to work. You know, so we had lots of that, lots of the promise and the excitement about it, but as you say, that's an, an underscored by a concern that this is going really, 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 really fast now. 
incredibly incrementally fast and you know we're looking at chat gpt you know those are the sorts of mainstream sort of services that people are probably familiar with with some great examples of how you can ask chat gpt to make something you can use it with with the right prompts you can use it to make the stuff you're doing more inclusive and we were looking particularly at teaching um to, you know it, it it can do a lesson plan and somebody was saying that what they do with it is that they say i want to be able to teach this topic here's the raw materials by the way three people in my room can't hear they're deaf can you give me a lesson plan that would make it possible for deaf learners to engage in this content and it will do it and it will do it very well and it will do it quickly and do make the you know tick doesn't remove the teacher's role but it makes that learning more inclusive so that's really powerful i think that's that's amazing you know back, back to the questions of privacy and concerns about it's just to and fro at the moment nobody's quite sure where to put it you can see the fear in some people's eyes going oh, i know i really but it's a robot it's going to take my job that type of thing <laughs> That's, that's the fear yeah. that is a fear but it's that is an understandable fear but you know also you know we can't halt progress and and when it comes to the ai train it is thundering on and uh it's incredible uh obviously texture pro has happened for 2023 but the content lives on the conversations will continue as well uh lots of content coming online i believe so we'll we ran the event on zoom uh it's possible to um buy a ticket and get in it was it was a a, a ticketed event um, and all of the content is going to live there exclusively as a as a as a collection for um, through till uh, after Christmas. By which time we'll have pulled a load of content out and start publishing it out in terms of blogs and follow on content. And there were so many amazing conversations on so many different topics that um, all of that content will be followed up. We've done TechShare Pro now for seven years, as I say. We always spend the next six to nine months farming those conversations and diving in a bit deeper on some of the topics uh, uh, that, 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 that we know will will continue to live on. We had some incredible speakers and panelists who will then return to and talk to some more and learn more about their specialist areas that, you know, the deep dive on some of those topics that, that we got maybe a glimpse of, AI being an obvious example, I think. Um, and we had Microsoft there as well talking about co-pilots. Um, I think, you know, in six months' time, a conversation that you and I would be having in this topic will naturally lead to Copilot. It's going to be a transformational tool. If you think about the number of desktops that have got Office on them and a device, uh, and every copy of Office has the power of Copilot sitting alongside it, that's all the AI-driven stuff that will be visible to, you know, any millions of desktop, billions of desktops that have got Office on them. That's going to transform people's understanding of the power of AI, I think, and and, and it is accessible and it's designed to be accessible from the start. It, it's very, very powerful. So even that one topic, Copilot, I think that will become a a bit like a Hoover. You know, it will be a phrase that you you're going to be talking about your Copilot. I reckon that was the prediction. You know, it's not yeah. it's not going to be a Microsoft product. It's going to be a way that we interact with AI and it'll help us do stuff. That's the sort of language is just becoming to come out. And and that will be incredibly powerful for people with disabilities for 101 reasons. And that's where technology is taking us next, I think, particularly AI. I think that sort of assistive technology, but with AI at the heart of it, is going to be incredibly powerful. Mark, thanks for coming on. Lovely to speak to you, Stephen. Take care.
So, like I've been saying, Sean, AI at the heart of everything. I mean, I'm not the only one saying it. It's the entire planet is pretty much saying that <laughs> at the moment. So, you know, it's it just is. AI is at the heart of everything. And as Mark says, it's at the heart of accessibility as well. But um, it always yep. seems to be a bit more excitement when it comes to accessibility. Do you know what I mean? It just is because it makes it feel like we can do more. I think that's the difference. Well, I, I, again, yeah, it's, it's coming back to that natural... Um, we're just looking ahead and seeing the potential of it from an accessibility point of view. Absolutely. I mean, what we were talking about before is that it almost, I can see a use case where we'd have no user interfaces anymore. You know, it's, it's just, you ask the AI and it just knows what you want. And that's, it's almost the Holy grail. Of mm. course, then we have questions about how people access that, you know, in other ways, apart from voice or touch or whatever else, we still have those accessibility angles to cover. But, um, yeah, there's not a conversation going on right now that doesn't involve AI in some way. Well, there is now, uh, because we're going to go to our emails. Yes, we love an email. Hey! Email. We get email. We get your email every day. Every day, Sean. Here's your mail today. Every single day, Stephen Scott. Thank you, listeners. We love you. There's not a day goes by when not an email comes into this inbox. It wasn't always that way, Stephen Scott. I remember the dark, lonely days... We plead, plead with people. Please, are you there? I'm reaching out through the podcast uh, speaker earbud oh. thing. Phone. Oh, you painted yourself into a corner I here. A Keep bit, going. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Lena's been in touch. Hello, Stephen. I'm still grounded from the computer because oh. of the tendonitis, but I peeked at the new website. Review Peloton's fitness bike offers an enjoyable and accessible workout experience. Wait till next week. All these resources, a place I can send sighted people to visit for specific info. Great. I'm thrilled. Best, Lena. Oh, thank you, Lena. Thank you to Laura for reading as well. Um, Yeah, it's the website's, I'm really happy with the website. I I think I should be. I created it. So, you know, I should be happy about it. I'm normally not. That's the thing, right? It's more of a tool than a creature. That's right. Yes. In this case, it absolutely is that. (laughs) I'm getting that on a t shirt. Yeah. yeah, I've got to say, you've done an amazing job on there, Stephen, because I haven't had much to do with it at all. And um, it's just great to have all those resources together. And the amount of updates you're doing to it, I don't know how you keep up. Well, Vicky got in touch because I had said at the time when we launched this website that, you know, this was, you know, basically it was like double tap minus the fluff. You know, we would yes. take all the fluff out of the conversations and just give you the cold, hard facts. Well, uh, Vicky in Scotland got in touch. Uh, Laura reads the message. Hi, Stephen and Sean. New website is great, but to be honest, I only listen to the fluff. So I say more fluff, less interviews, etc. Vicky, the non-Apple using touchscreen hater from Scotland. <laughs> Hang on, try to get that. Non-Apple using touchscreen hater. Okay, right. Hater. Okay. She okay. hates touchscreens. Quite right. Good Flight for you. Show Classic, a Smart Vision 3, uh, and other things available. Well, thank you. I- I'm glad someone loves the fluff. I'm glad someone loved it. Did you hear that? Mr. F. Someone loves it. People love the fluff, Mr. F. Mr. Fluff, it should be. Mr. Fluff. (laughs) Um, Now, speaking of AI, oh, goodness, we're back to that. Uh, Glendon got in touch, and he says that AI is closer than we think. Okay. Stephen, Sean, and Laura, just some quick feedback on your Monday's show talking about AI guys. When Stephen said that AI workers being commonplace in our everyday lives is closer than ever, I totally agree. 
As far as decades away, I personally think that it will be sooner for the following reason. When thinking about our operating system updates and how atrocious they can be, often causing huge issues for businesses and individuals alike, we might ask ourselves how this system has continued for so many decades without recourse. How is it that corporations can sell us products which have not been fully quality checked or idiot-proofed? Because we have waived all legal recourse in the terms and conditions that we sign off on before we're accepting them. I do think that the self-driving vehicles will take longer, and any products that will be working in public areas rather than on private property will be far more hazardous as well as more susceptible to personal injury lawsuits. Products purchased for the home, like the Android servant played by Woody Allen in his movie called The Big Sleep, lol, these types of products for private use can be released at any time, no doubt. We will continue to be the guinea pigs who help them refine their products that will eventually be perfected for coming generations. And of course we know... The powers that be do seem to prefer it when their worker bees don't get too comfortable. <laughs> Big smile. Just my thinking. Any thoughts? Best from Glendon. That's an interesting take, actually, yeah. I, I must admit, I didn't put those dots together on that one, but I think you're right, actually, because I suppose that it comes to the point, for me anyway, just from what you're saying, Glendon, that the idea at-home technology that, that uses AI, that benefits from AI, is going to happen much sooner than cars on the road because it's not just about the cars on the road and and the challenges they may pose and the dangers they may pose but the regulation that actually allows them on the road in the first place that's really what's slowing things down in that regard and i think that is always going to be the case and it's funny because as much as we kind of love to deride our governments and deride regulation and oh everything's slowing down because of stupid governments who don't know what they're doing and they don't have a clue actually it kind of might help save us all because we're not <laughs> unleashing these vehicles on the roads without any kind of, you know, legal framework. You know, can you imagine if we just launched onto the roads now just 100,000 driverless cars? What on earth would happen? It would be great. <laughs> yeah, I'd um, love it, but, you know, I don't know if anyone yeah, else no, would. I, I, no, well, I, I just have a real issue with... with um <laughs> with human drivers, I guess I'm saying with road safety. Yes, uh, I just think let's, let's if we could just switch over tomorrow and uh, yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, that's a different story. Um, I, I find it interesting. There's, there's sort of there's almost two aspects to AI workforce. Almost right now, we are seeing AI having an effect, but it is as a sort of data handler. Almost, it's it's all to do with computer systems and how it handles that. And AI is having an effect in employment there, negatively, I would say. Um, but there is also that other aspect of what we were talking about, such as the Amazon robots, and um, yeah, even going back to I believe actually the Woody Allen films called Sleeper in the UK. Um, but that personal robot style that we're all thinking of for the future and also in the workplace. I think that still is quite, quite far away. Until we get that computer vision sorted out, as we were talking about before with real time, where a, 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 a machine that is going to interact with an environment can do that safely, I still think that's quite far away. And I mm. think once that happens, though, that is going to have such an impact on, on, um, on jobs that, that it, it could almost be a society shift. I yeah. don't know what the answer is to that. I will say, I think that, you know, the path is clear, right? Because we, we, we can kind of see the path of where the robot in the workplace will take over if you draw a parallel with cars. Because with cars, we've seen developments coming in as, in quotes, assistant, 
that are moving towards automation. Yes. And I think that is probably the, the same thing that is going to happen in the workplace as well. You're going to have aut- assistants that become autonomous. And yes. gradually, yeah. basically, the robot will just one day be smart enough to hold the door open and say, after you, and then slam the door in your face. And that'll be the end of it. Uh, People do that to me all the time. Anyway, let me get the door for you and half open it. Thank you. Boof. Yeah, love it. Uh, listen, that's it for today. Thank you so much for uh, getting involved. Thanks to Laura for reading our emails, as always. Uh, thanks to Mark Walker for telling us all about Texture Pro. And thank you, Sean, for whatever it is you do. Ah, you're welcome, Stephen Scott. Thank you, and thanks to the listeners. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.